Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. This summer brought crowds to the streets not seen in two years because of the pandemic. Slowly, things are getting back to a semblance of normal for people throughout the country. But for people who have been working day and night to keep their food truck and street cart businesses running and to serve food to eager and hungry customers, it's still not quite normal. Walking down the streets in New York City, street vendors are seemingly on every corner. During the summertime, fresh corn is grilled with mayo con queso and sprinkled with tagine. Once the weather gets colder and winter arrives, fresh nuts are roasted on every block, rolled in sugar and cooked to perfection and smelling delicious. Street vendors are you know, as old as New York City, they've been providing fresh, affordable food on street corners, providing jobs for primarily immigrant women and military veterans. But those same vendors are often left vulnerable, not only from the lack of resources during the COVID-19 pandemic, but from years of constant struggles trying to secure licenses and permits. And many vendor advocates say that street vendors, who are overwhelmingly immigrants of color, have long been subjected to over-policing when they sell. In a now viral video of workers throwing pallet after pallet of fruits and vegetables into a garbage truck. And if they take my stuff away 20,000 times, I'm going to show up. The daily lives of these street vendors, their passion for feeding customers, and the adversity they face in their unrelenting fight for belonging offers a unique window into the present-day immigrant experience in the U.S. Especially struggles in the sense where there's a conflict with the police, you know, where, where, where you just see some real change. For me, what these women were doing were actually very radical. It could be, you know, defined as radical politics because they were confronting the police day in and day out. At the same time, many of them were undocumented and there was a movement. But with the rise of trendy food trucks in recent years, activists are pointing out the inequalities that exist within that permit system which seems to target immigrants and favor established, often white, chefs looking for inexpensive ways to feed the masses and build a following. As we close out this year's Hispanic Heritage Month, we take a closer look at this community, the Vendadores Ambulantes. We'll hear from a longtime researcher on immigrants from Latin America, 
the director of the New York City Street Vendor Project. And we'll speak with the owner of a locally loved food truck in Queens, who says she's still waiting after applying for a permit seven years ago. I'm Linda Lopez, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey, a weekly podcast where we bring together multiple perspectives to unpack a single compelling story. New York City isn't the only urban area with sprawling food carts on every corner. Immigrants have paved their way across the country to the West Coast. There, you can find any type of Latin American cuisine you desire. From Los Angeles all the way to the Bay Area, you can find everything from Salvadorian pupusas to Colombian arepas, even plantains from the islands. Oakland's Fruitvale District, the streets are lined with food carts. And many of these vendors have been working every day during the pandemic. But street vendors have struggled the past two years. Those who have managed to keep their businesses open haven't had a moment of rest in a long time. They were considered essential workers. Street vendors were considered by New York state government as essential workers for the service that they provide. There's just been such a disregard for their contributions and showing that they're receiving the necessary aid. In fact, COVID-19 has disproportionately affected minority groups that tend to work at street vending, like immigrants from Latin American countries. And there are other issues, too. While prices for produce and other goods rise, sales have plummeted for street vendors. And that doesn't take into account the various permit fees that street vendors have to pay to even be able to sell their food. In Los Angeles, for example, street vendors make an average of ten dollars to $15,000 per year. But startup costs for permits vary and usually start at at least $500. If vendors are fined for not having a permit, they can be charged up to $1,000 in fines. In New York, a black market has emerged due to a cap on the number of permits available. People who have obtained these permits years ago have been reselling them for fees up to $35,000, which makes owning a food cart unfeasible for many. Enforcers of those permits and laws say they're meant to avoid things like food poisoning and to help keep streets clean. But with the permit fees, fines, and cost of produce and other goods, vendors are struggling to make a livable wage. And this is something which I think policymakers need to understand in the global north and, and relax some of the attitude. That's Dr. Fasila Bimji, who spent years in Los Angeles learning about its street vendor community. In L.A., she says that street vending allows for immigrants to build a sense of belonging for themselves and in turn make their customers feel at home, too. Because it's traditional food. It's from their home countries or their home you know, which they sell. So I think for the buyers, even for the clients, um, it's a very different experience from purchasing food from a street vendor, from the women especially, than going into McDonald's or Burger King, because there is all this interaction, a little bit of chit chat, and the women are there regularly, and probably clients also are there regularly. Perhaps they are, you know, selling in front of a bus stop in front in a park or so there's this belonging and trust that's established between clients and the women who who sell. Bimji herself found the culture of street vending a familiar one. When I came to LA as far as back as 1986 
I was immediately drawn to you know all the street food I just found that completely amazing and also because I myself grew up in the global south where it was very a very common sight to have this sort of um, presence street presence of um, you know and the idea of selling food on the street wasn't very new to me so it was also in some ways a continuity of what I was used to and accustomed to and um, I just really enjoyed discovering all these different types of um, street food. But street vending has a long complex history here in the U.S. Many street vendors immigrated here from Central and South America, continuing a long-standing tradition of selling goods made by family businesses that were built there. Some first immigrated here after the recession to create a better life. Others continue to move here to send money back home to their families and begin the journey of obtaining citizenship. For them, it's about survival. They come from various countries, such as Mexico, Colombia, and El Salvador. Others from Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and Jamaica. The vendors in these countries often benefit from a relaxed economy where people have autonomy in their businesses and what they sell. That's a concept that the U.S. system isn't too familiar with, Fazila says. The understanding of what informal economy means is absent in the global north. This is how people survive in the global south. Um, you know, people just end up selling or buy, uh, you know, creating their own stores, whether it's food or whether it's an outdoor beauty salon. Um, you know, it's all very spontaneous. So if people run out, you know, out of money, then they, you know, it, and in a way it's very creative also. People find ways to make money very quickly, very efficiently. And this is how people who have had less opportunity to access formal education, where they haven't been born um, into middle class households, People do find a way to survive. Karina Kaufman Gutierrez is the deputy director of the Street Vendor Project, an advocacy group in partnership with the Urban Justice Center in New York. She says street vendors are often discriminated against, even though cities like New York claim to be sanctuary cities. That welcomes immigrants regardless of immigration status and doesn't collaborate with ICE. But that, you know, is really. It's important, but it's not enough. A sanctuary city is, is only a sanctuary to the point where people are not, um, where you know, police departments are not collaborating with ICE. But in order to be a true sanctuary city, right, there actually needs to be economic opportunity. There needs to be ways for people to really make New York City home. For vendors who are undocumented, they, and, and you can, I want to clarify, undocumented vendors do pay taxes. They are lawfully registered to run street vending businesses. They are a critical part of the economy. But despite their contributions, were excluded from most forms of relief, including unemployment and including any any type of relief that requires a social security number. And so as both small business owners that are not being recognized as such, 
And as undocumented residents who are contributing to the economy but not being recognized as such, vendors were really doubly excluded during the pandemic. She notes that street vending is integral to the immigrant community and that it's one of the only ways that immigrants, especially those who are undocumented, can be part of the economy. And in fact, they make a lot of money for New York City. So vendors generate annually an estimated $71.2 million in local, state, and federal taxes and add $293 million to the city's economy, $192 million in wages, and create um, an estimated almost 20,000 jobs in New York City. Street vending for so long has played a critical role, especially for immigrants, in starting small businesses, in, you know, establishing themselves as as small business owners. And you can really see how the street food landscape of New York City has changed over the past century based on different waves of immigration. And so you see this incredible diversity of of street food and of, of, you know, I think such a representation of New York City. It's so street Street vending is so integral to the heart and soul of New York City. This is the case for Maggie Morales, who is the chef and owner of the food truck Mike's Coffee Express in Elmhurst, Queens, one of the food capitals of New York City. Morales has been running her food truck on her own since her husband died due to complications from COVID-19 last year. Spending time with Maggie inside her truck made me feel at home. Her kitchen smelled just like my mom's when I was growing up. Rice cooking, chicken sizzling on the grill. Smells of onion and garlic and peppers sauteing. All of the mouthwatering smells making it immediately clear why she's a favorite with her customers. Maggie says it's been a struggle, but being able to continue the business has made her feel strong. So open the truck for me is, is a hard. But at the same time, because the economic is not like before the pandemic, so I started thinking, what can I do at the moment? I came sitting in my house crying, looking around, so I had to do something to keep my mind busy. You know, inter- you know, be in touch with the people. Uh, try to do something different, like doing my house, watching TV, eating, getting fat day by day. You know, really, because that's happened to me. That was sick the moment. That was a uh, start of pandemic. The starting sick. We eating, thinking about it, and it's stressful. So, I decided to open the truck in August 2020 with my daughter. My kids say, "Ma, you sure?" Remember, my father is not there, but you you want to feel my, my my dad there, so you need to think about it. So you know what? And think about it. I'm I think I'm strong. I'm ready for that. So that's why I opened the truck. Remember August first, and we started my daughter. She's helped my help. She's in front of the window and mom on the grill. I wake up like at four in the morning, set up everything with my daughter, and here at five thirty in the morning in my spot. So people asking me, Maggie, you back? I said, yes. I'm so happy. He said, oh my God, I can't believe it. You back? Welcome back. I said, yes. At that moment, everybody's known my husband passed away. People, they don't know. 
they asking me what's gonna happen with my husband, but they don't see him here. So I explain. So, you know, for all my customers, I receive a lot of support and they, they know what's my feeling inside. And always say, Maggie, don't worry. Whatever is happening, we will support you. Don't worry. Say, okay, thank you. That was a big reason. Continue day by day working, no matter what. So that's why I'm here. So I think it's not hard, but at the moment it was hard, but, I, but right now, no. Maggie has received financial assistance from the Street Vendor Project, which will help her purchase supplies for the next year. She's also received support from her community in Queens. It's all my community, the shelter, the driver, the school, budget rental car, the MTA buses, people from the airport, the officers from the precinct, Northern Boulevard, everybody, everybody. So that's why I'm, I'm here because they support me a lot. They, you know, they say, Maggie, never give up. I say, no, never, no, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> but despite the assistance, and Maggie's success, she's still having trouble with the permit process. Their current license, which she and her husband purchased with the business from her brother-in-law, expires next year, and she has to go through the process of renewal. She hasn't received her own license yet, which she applied for seven years ago. Kaufman Gutierrez says that although there is new legislation for vendors, there are still complications within the system. The New York Department of Health holds lotteries every few years to distribute excess permits, but the average wait can still be over a decade. But just this past January, New York City passed Intro 1116, which lifts the permit cap by 4,000 permits. And that bill is the first citywide legislation of its kind. It also allows permits to be assigned to an individual person rather than a cart. That will lessen the number of permits that have been resold in New York's underground market, where permit holders would uptick the price of the permit by thousands of dollars, leaving the price too high for many new businesses. The new bill, Kaufman Gutierrez adds, will hopefully eliminate this underground financial scheme. You know, think about like the food truck revolution, <laughs> like how people were obsessed with food trucks in the early to, early to mid-2000s. The more demand there was, the higher the rental costs were for the permits. And so people were paying up to $30,000, $35,000 to rent a permit. And so now with the passage of Intro 1116, one of the key elements was to end this underground system. So this will gradually eliminate the underground market. And other issues, such as the police's interactions with street vendors, still play a major role in cities like New York, especially in boroughs like Queens or the Bronx, where there's a high concentration of the vendors. In September, the NYPD and Department of Consumer and Worker Protection asked Diana Hernandez-Cruz, a well-known vendor in the Bronx, for her permit. When she didn't show it to them, they threw away all of her produce in the trash. This community is a low-income community and many can't afford vegetables or food because they are expensive. And last Thursday was no different, she says, until the NYPD showed up. The city claims the stand was abandoned. Hernandez-Cruz claims she was there. Videos of the incident went viral and caused a local uproar. It allowed people near and far to see how street vendors are still criminalized, despite newer and so-called more lenient policies. People were outraged to see that this beautiful, fresh produce is being thrown away, not even redistributed. And that's what you see in the video, too, is 
this huge crowd of people coming out and saying, you know, what you're doing is wrong. And Diana, the vendor herself, was saying, look, like, I'm, if you're going to throw it out, at least let me redistribute it. She was actually the one advocating for them to at least give it out. And I think the other piece is that Diana is beloved, right? She's been there for five years. She has really, really strong roots in her neighborhood. She's a single mom. She's an excluded worker. She is someone who the community cares about. So to see all of these issues come to a head at this one instance, um, it really caused people to be extremely upset. And rightfully so, because what happens to her, and I think that this is an important thing to, as a takeaway, is what happened to her is completely legal. Deanna's story shows how, while the police have technically been removed from vendor duty, and it's harder for police to interfere with New York City street vendors in the wake of the recent legislation, these incidents still happen, and they can be devastating for the individuals involved. Going forward, Kaufman Gutierrez says there is still a lot of work to be done to improve conditions for street vendors in New York City and nationwide. She has high hopes for Senate Bill 1175, statewide legislation that could allow anyone interested to apply for and receive a permit. Similar legislation already exists in California, where a lot of the legislative progress has been inspired by conversations with street vendor advocates there and by Senate Bill 948, which decriminalized street vending in the state. And just last month, L.A. City Councilwoman Nithya Rahman pleaded with the state of California to change its retail food code to be more inclusive to street vendors by making the process to attain a license much easier and to reconsider loosening food prep rules. I think California is in an interesting place now as they, with the state mandate, each city is trying to implement their own rules and regulations for how to actually implement street vending um, and create a system. And so it's a very, it's similar, but it's a very different fight that we each have to legalize street vending. But California street vendors are still facing discrimination. In August, a study from the UCLA School of Law Community Economic Development Clinic and the nonprofit law firm Public Counsel found that despite legislation enacted in 2018 in California to legalize street vending, most vendors still face the threat of financial penalties. And in addition to the legal battles they constantly face, Latina street vendors have seen a rise in physical attacks against them in recent years. Advocacy groups say that full legislation of the trade can only help decrease the violence by leaving them less vulnerable to public scrutiny and in turn, hopefully encourage vendors to file reports of such incidents. But despite the ups and downs of maintaining a food cart, vendors still describe it as one of the most joyful feelings they've ever experienced. I love everything. You know, for me, it's, you know, cooking in the, in the grill for me is amazing. Serving to my customer, um, give to them the sandwich. Like I say, I put everything for my heart. Everything I do is for my heart. Everything I do is sandwich and platter. I do like for me. I, that's why you're asking them, you want this, you want that, you want to add something else, because, you know, I want the, the customers to be happy. And then come back and say, you know, Maggie, thank you so much. I love your food. That's made me, you know, happy to be. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, part. yes. That's the best part. You cook it with love. 
love. That's why it exactly. smells so good and it's tastes not so like, good. Yes, it's not like you throw the chicken in the grill or just do the scrambled eggs and throw in the chicken on the top, closing that. No, I like that. My sandwich, bacon and cheese, sausage and cheese, BLT, perfect. Street vendors are the small business owners and job creators that aren't always thought of as such, who contribute millions to the economy, despite the struggles they go through. Something to perhaps acknowledge the next time they are serving your favorite breakfast, lunch, or elote con queso. This episode of Connect the Dots was written and produced by Lauren Barry and Sydney Fishman, with assistance from Dempsey Pillai. It was executive produced and edited by Mallory Samara. Until next week, I'm your host, WCBS News Radio's Linda Lopez. Thanks for being here. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.